Well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's lovely to see you on this bright, sunny morning. Trust God will, will bless you today. We're continuing our study in Romans. We're in Romans chapter 6, and the passage is verse uh, 15 down to the end of the chapter. Uh, Russell, I have to break it to you gently that uh, Lewis told me that he actually watches Paw Patrol for your benefit, so <clears throat> you're kidding nobody. So let's, let's read the passage together. Um, I'm going to read uh, verse 14 just for connection. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, And to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's let's pray. Father, we come to you now before your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would prepare and open our hearts that we might hear your voice speaking to us. Bless your word to our lives, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you followed the the reading closely, you may have noticed that the key word in our passage is the word slave. And it occurs something like eight times. Now, Paul here is using the analogy of the slave market to illustrate the radical transformation that takes place in a person's life when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's just saying that he's, he's using an illustration drawn from life to help you understand the truth. So he uses the analogy of the slave market. Now, His readers in Rome would have been very familiar with that concept. I understand that between 30 to 40% of the population of what we now know as Italy uh, was made up of slaves. There was something like 5 to 10 million slaves spread across the Roman Empire at that time. So Paul's readers could relate to this analogy. Now a slave was very different from a servant. 
A slave was someone who was completely given over to the service of their master. They had no personal freedom. They had been bought by their master, bought out of the slave market, and they had become his possession. You know, I'm amazed. I even think of my own children growing up, and even as toddlers, they understood the concept of a slave. When you asked them to do something as a toddler, they they would often say, I'm not your slave. You're not the boss of me. But a slave was someone who lived in complete submission. And this is the key point of the passage. Absolute obedience to their master. A servant, on the other hand, still had a degree of freedom. A servant could, could own property. They were free to go home at the end of their service. It was a very different existence. Now the point that Paul makes in this passage is that every one of us is a slave. Know it or not, like it or not, every one of us is a slave. We all serve either one of two masters. Either you are, in verse 17, a slave of sin, where sin is your master domineering over you and you obey its dictates. Or you are a slave of righteousness, verse 18, a slave Uh, Of God, where God is your master and you live to obey his desires. Ollie, maybe you could put up the next slide, please. Now, I'm sure most of you um, would have followed the news this week about uh, this this gentleman, Christian Wakeford, the MP for, I believe it's Bury South, Bury South, however you pronounce it. Now, on Wednesday of this week, he did the unthinkable. He crossed the political divide. He crossed the chamber. He left the Tory party to join the Labour party. He left one master, the beleaguered Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, to serve another master. And the equally beleaguered Keir Stammer, I, I, have, I can't have any political connotations in this ser- sermon and I'm not associating the Tory party as, as the party of slaves to sin and the Labour party as the party of righteousness, but he left one master to serve another master. Now apparently he said this was after months and months of soul searching that he came to this difficult decision. Now the Bible tells us that this is a decision that we all face in our lives. Not about Tory or Labour, but which master will I serve in my life? Will I serve sin or will I serve God? And so as we study this, uh, this passage together, the question for you to, to ask yourself is whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Paul knew exactly whose slave he was. It's how he introduces himself right at the beginning of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now your Bible might say servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. That's a poor translation. It's the word doulos. It's a slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Paul says Jesus Christ is my master. He bought me out of the slave market. He paid the price with his own blood. Jesus Christ has transformed my life and made me his own. Ollie, perhaps you can put up the next slide. 
So let's look at the passage together. This is just a, a, an overview of how we're going to, to break up uh, the, the verses as we study them together. Verse 15, Paul once again presents the argument that he began chapter 6 with in verse 1. And it follows on from verse um, 14. You are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Paul is anticipating the argument. That if we are not justified, and that simply means to be made right with God, that if we are not justified uh, under the law by keeping the law by our own works and our own efforts and keeping the law, if we are justified by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ under grace, then we can continue to live as we please. We can continue in sin. Now, I was reading J.B. Phillips' uh, translation, which is really helpful. This is how he translates verse 1. Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. And it is a ghastly thought. And Paul says at the end of verse 15, at the end of the question, he says, by no means. It is the strongest possible denial in Greek. Paul slams the door on this argument in verse 15. That having come into the good of God's grace, you cannot live as you please. You cannot continue in sin because you have died to sin and have been raised to walk in a new life with Jesus Christ. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the argument. Now in verse 16, Paul establishes a principle. And this principle forms the foundation of his teaching in the next few verses. And it's the principle of obedience. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey. That's the principle. Either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Again, J.B. Phillips, his translation. You belong to the power which you choose to obey. Whether you choose sin whose reward is death or God and the reward of righteousness. Now let's just pause And let the word of God speak into your heart and into your life today. Who do you obey in your life? Now this is when all the husbands look to their wives. You know, and and men, let's not kid ourselves. We, We know that's true. But let's raise the bar to think about spiritual life. Who do you obey in your life? Now, Paul is not talking about sinless perfection here, and we'll we'll cover that in a minute. But it's the habitual practice of my life, the general tenor of my life. Who do I obey? Is it sin? Or is it God? Do I live to please myself? Or do I live to please God? Now, if I call myself a Christian, but my life is not characterized by obedience to God, 
then am I really born again? You see, the teaching of verse 16 is that it's your actions, not your words. It's your actions which reveal which master you serve. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. Now we come to verses 17 to 20 and, and Paul builds on that principle, the principle of obedience. And in these next three verses, three or four verses, he, he helps us understand the amazing transformation that has taken place in a person's life when they give their life to Jesus Christ in faith. And he highlights this by contrasting the past lives of these Roman Christians with what they are now, by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul highlights three things here. First of all, in verse 17, the first point, he says, You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Obedient to what? To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You have become obedient to the word of God. Now we'll come back to this later. Now the second point he makes is in verse 18. That when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You were set free from sin. And you have become slaves of righteousness. This is building on from the teaching earlier in chapter 6. That sin no longer has dominion over the Christian's life. It no longer reigns in my life. Now again, this is not sinless perfection. We all struggle with sin on a daily basis. I struggle with sin on a daily basis. Even Paul knew about the struggle with sin. He goes on in chapter 7 to talk about the struggle. Paul talks about the sin that dwells within me. It no longer controls me, but it's there. And if I feed it, it wants more. It's like your pet dog. Any opportunity to get food to feed, it will take it. Christ has set me free. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. I am a new creature. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I am under new management. New ownership. I serve a new master. Now here's the third point. You've become obedient. Number one, to the word of God. Number two, you've been set free from sin's power. Now number three in verse 19. This has practical implications for how I live my life. Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you lived differently. You once, says Paul, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. Your members, that is the members of your body. Your being, your ears, your eyes, your ears, your feet, your hands, your mouth. Even those private parts of your body that we don't talk about. Your mind, everything. Your whole body, your entire being was at the disposal of your old master, sin, to do his bidding. 
Well, you might say, that's not true about me. I'm a good person. I'm not a slave to sin. Well, you know, that's exactly what the religious Jews said to Jesus in John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, the the truth shall set you free. They said to Jesus, we're not enslaved to anyone. We're sons of Abraham. We don't need to be set free. Jesus said, he who practices sin is the slave of sin. But now a transformation has taken place in your life. It's like the words of the the old chorus. Uh, Things are different now. Something happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. And here is the transformation Paul says in verse 19. And it's actually a command for the Christian. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now that means that I place my entire being at the disposal of God. My eyes and what I look at. My ears and what I listen to, my hands and my work, my feet and where they take me. My mouth, my tongue and what I say. My mind and what I think about, my heart and where my affections lie. Jesus, all for Jesus. All I am and have and ever hope to be. Your entire being is placed at the disposal of God. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Work in me and through me. Now the word present, uh, it means to yield. um, It implies an act of the will. This is something that is voluntarily. This is something that you choose to do. It's actually a temple word. It's the language of the priest Presenting his offering to God. Laying it on the altar. And that offering is all for God. You see God doesn't want your things. He doesn't need your things. God wants you. And God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. God wants us to offer ourselves to him as living sacrifices. To place our bodies, our beings on the altar as a daily offering to him. You know, this is where Paul is building to in the book of Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1. This is the summit. This is the Everest of all this teaching on the doctrine of the gospel. This is the essence of the Christian life. Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present the same word. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's your rational service. That's what that means. It's the logical thing to do. In response to what God has given. God has given everything for us. And now he expects us to give ourselves to him willingly, lovingly. To present our members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. This is God's ongoing work 
of sanctification in our lives. Now that word sanctification, it simply means the ongoing process in my life of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Of becoming more holy by letting God through his Holy Spirit work in me and through me. And that work of sanctification never stops. I think it was Jim Elliot, the, the, the missionary, the, the American missionary who gave his life in the jungles of Ecuador. He said it, it takes the whole of your life to live your life for Jesus. You see, the word present implies an act of the will. It involves me making a choice, choosing how I live. Will I yield my body, my being to God, or will I choose to let sin into my life? Will I choose as a Christian to live in a self-centered way with little regard for others, no thought for others? Will I choose to be manipulative in my relationships, my relationship with my, my wife, with my children, with my parents, with my friends, with my brothers and sisters in the church? Will I choose to gossip about others? Will I choose to look at pornography? Will I choose to be sexually promiscuous? You see, every day we have a choice to present our members as slaves to righteousness. Or to go back... To the way we used to live. And to present our members as slaves to sin. And so the question for us all today is whose slave are you? Does my life reflect God's salvation? Is my manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now at the center of all this is God's work in me through his word. Um, you know, it takes us back to verse 17. This is how the transformation is brought into being. Paul says you became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And that word standard, it means form or mold, the form of teaching. Here is God squeezing me into his mold. You know, when you, you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul tells us, do not be conformed to the world. It's the same word. The world is trying to squeeze you into its mold, but God is squeezing you into his mold. How does he do it? You became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, the teaching of his word to which you were committed. You were delivered to the influence and power of God's word. Now, this gets a bit technical, but that, that word committed, the verb committed is in the passive voice. That means this is something that is done to you. It's not something that I do, but it's a work of God. God is bringing his word to bear on your life. He is squeezing you into his mold. That is why the, the teaching of the word of God has to be central to everything that we do. 
And it's God who brings about this transformation in my life through the ministry of the teaching of his word, through the Holy Spirit applying his word to my life. God transforms me. He molds me, making me more and more like Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus taught. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17 when he prayed for his people. Prayed the night before the cross. Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So finally, verses uh, 21 to 23. So just to summarize, the evidence of a transformed life, you have become obedient to the word, you have been set free from sin, and you present and put your body and your being at the disposal of God. Now verses 21 to 23, the fruit that follows. You know, following these two masters leads to two very different outcomes. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, when you serve sin, you are on the road that leads to death. And if you're on that road, you need to get off it. You need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you need to get on the road that leads to life and to heaven. A life of obedience to God that leads to sanctification in verse 22. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, becoming more holy, God molding you, making you more and more like Jesus And its end, at the end of the road, is life forevermore, is eternal life. Now which master are you serving? Whose slave are you? You know, you may be a Christian here today and you're struggling with sin in your life. The fact that you're struggling... You know, that's an evidence that you are born again. That there is that struggle. That's a a positive first step. And through the grace of God, you can overcome that struggle. You can be victorious in that struggle. Chapter 5, we we learned about the superabounding grace of God by letting grace reign in our lives. That God's grace is greater than our sin. And if you're struggling with sin, you can either do one of two things. You can either repent of your sin to God. And present your members as slaves to righteousness. I would counsel you to do that today. Speak to someone. Help you along that road. Or you can continue in denial and shut out God's word from your life and get drawn further and further into sin and the fruit that follows. And it leads into a darker and darker place.
The teaching of Romans 6 is clear that you cannot serve two masters. And maybe too many of us, and I include myself, maybe too many of us are trying to live our lives as 50-50 Christians. That we are only prepared to present so much of our lives to God. That we are only prepared to yield so much of our bodies and beings to God. God wants you. God wants all of you. Let me close with a quote from F.F. Bruce. Um, He was a highly respected professor of Bible criticism in uh, I think the the, the 20th century, mid-20th century. And it was a quote that really resonated with me. And I leave it with you. He writes this. In Romans chapter 6, he writes this. If a man is not being sanctified. You know, if we are not letting God work in our lives and we are not growing, not becoming more like Jesus. If a man is not being sanctified, there is no reason to believe that he has been justified. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. Whose slave are you? Let's pray. Father we come into your presence. We thank you that you are a loving gracious master. We thank you that you are a God who gave everything to win us. To bring us back to yourself. Thank you that you purchased us through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, to bring us out of the slavery of sin. Lord, as as Paul reminds us, it is our logical response to place everything that we have, our bodies, our beings, willingly, lovingly on the altar to serve you. Father, forgive us for the parts of our lives, the parts of our beings and bodies that we have not yielded to you. For the sin that we have allowed to creep back into our lives, we ask for your forgiveness. And may your Holy Spirit be at work here in every heart that we might yield ourselves to you. Father, we pray for your blessing to be upon this church. We look ahead to next week in your will. We just pray for your guidance, both to Johnny and Fiona, and also to ourselves. And uh, we just pray for your, your will to be done and for your leading. And Lord, we just commit all these things to you, knowing that you are a sovereign God and in control. Lord, we just uh, give you our thanks now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.